Hi, everyone. Welcome to my podcast, the Real Life Heroines podcast, where I get to interview heroines, real life heroines, who have responded to a call that takes them out of their normal life and brings them on a journey that anything can happen. And I, I invite them to talk about it and what lessons they learn. And today, I'm so very honored to have Pega Kedkodian join me. Welcome, Pega. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Yeah, I'm so thrilled that we can talk about your journey, which as we chatted about it earlier um, in the week, we talked about how really what I think what you want to share is your spiritual journey, which has been evolving. And we'll talk about that. But I wanted to just say a few things about you or invite you to talk about your work, which is what got us onto the subject of your spiritual journey, because I had said to you, you remind me of myself and my journey of having this very corporate self, and then this sort of hidden spiritual self, which <laughs> took us off on your hidden spiritual self. So you have been doing coaching and consulting and you work a lot with resilience with your clients and you still work with corporations. I'll let you talk more about how you're merging your work with that, but what else would you say in general about how you present yourself to the world? Because there's um, a lot and I don't want to- <laughs> There is a lot and it's kind of funny when I sit down and think about it and you know, make an attempt at trying to consolidate it and give it in a concise way. So yes, I have a background. Um, so, I mean, if we're going to go all the way back, I have a background in the performing arts. So I was a theater actor, voiceover, screen, more theater and voiceover than on camera. But um, then my journey evolved to, uh, you know, going into the world of teaching yoga and becoming a health coach. And then ultimately that evolved into becoming a resilience coach. And then I took a, um, a turn into the world of um, training people and NLP. So I traveled for a couple of years and taught seminars. So I was on the road like 150 days out of the year teaching neuro-linguistic programming, which is just a mouthful of words to say, helping people use the language of their mind to achieve better results in every area of their life. And then I um, transitioned from that into the world of consulting that you just mentioned. And so I was working with uh, organizations, both large and small, around improving communication and leadership and general culture. Um, I still do consulting work. I work now with Trinity Transition uh, Consulting. And um, the focus there is diversity, equity, inclusion, and anti-racism work in organizations now. And you know, I've done a fair amount of like executive coaching. And even in the realm of my own personal coaching practice, I've worked with a lot of executive women uh, and men, but a lot more women um, in terms of cultivating their skill of resilience. Um, I have a lot of modalities that I have drawn from, which I'm sure we'll get into. We're going to talk um, about it, yes. Yeah, but that's kind of, you know, that sort of sums up, I guess, a little bit about what I do. I mentioned I teach yoga as well, and I've sort of rekindled my love for that because I was doing that full time for a long time. And then I took a step away from it when I started teaching and consulting. And now it's kind of coming back around full circle and I'm teaching again, I've certified 
hundreds of yoga teachers. So I've taught a lot of people how to teach yoga. Um, so I've just been really fortunate to get to do things I love to do for work. You know, Pega, as you were talking and you kept saying, and that took a turn and that took a turn. <laughs> I think that's a sign of someone who is in tune to her intuition, listening to the call <laughs> of what to do next. You know, I think it all has added up to where you needed to be with the type of skills and abilities that you have right now. So I think that's a note to people always listening when you keep hearing this. And then I did, and then I moved. Oh, and just to give people a break that are listening, I didn't always listen to the call readily. Sometimes I took that turn kicking and screaming. So, you know, it's not like I was like, oh yeah, but you know, I got called over here and then I just naturally right. took that turn and did it. Like, no, sometimes it was a lot of discomfort and pain and I did actually do it like, I suppose yeah. I have to do this, right? So I just want to give people who are listening a little bit of grace around that, you know? Absolutely. And we're going to, I think, so we should talk about that. And people, um, well, let me first just quickly sum up when I think of the heroine's journey. I think of the storyline that happens in books and in movies, but also in real people's lives. And that but it's easiest to talk about it in the story format, which is that there's someone in their village where they hang out normally. It's where they're comfortable. It also can be called their comfort zone. And, and something happens to take them outside of that and bring them on an adventure. And it can be something devastating. I was just talking with someone who said, my divorce, you know, and pulling the, you know, something that pulls the rug out from under you. Or it could be that intuitive, I don't like this, this isn't working for me. I don't feel like I belong here. So then the heroine and what makes her a heroine is she responds to that instead of just digging a deeper hole and hiding herself and staying in that comfort zone. And again, timing is everything. And you were saying it might not be that moment. You might need a stronger call to get you out, but you eventually go and all kinds of things happen on the journey that teach you and grow you and evolve you. And sometimes they're hugely uncomfortable and sometimes they're miraculous and there's synchronicity and you get to meet wonderful people like you on the way. <laughs> and, and there's always gifts that a journey brings to you. And then it's sort of, okay, well, I did that. And now what's next? And part of what's next is sharing your gifts or what you learned with others, which is so much of what you're doing, I think now. So I sort of related that quickly to you when we talked. And Again, journeys can happen in different areas. They can happen in your relationship life. They can happen in your work life, in your spiritual life. And you sort of took me right to your spiritual, <laughs> which I love too, because we have this corporate and spiritual background, I think, in common. And, um, and yeah, I've been on a spiritual journey for quite a while. So I'm going to let you talk. And... And you said, when we talked before, I have to go back to my familial background 
and you proceeded to tell me how you know there wasn't much of a spiritual focus no. in life. so and and also can we say um well you stay so when you were three years old what happened to you well let me just um before I venture into that realm kind of address what you just said about the heroine's journey because I relate to every part of what you just said which is to say you know being in your comfort zone kind of just living your life and then having something upend your life. And I can't tell you how many times that's happened to me. It is like literally the story of my life as I'm going to tell it here in a minute, whether it's been in the realm of relationships or career or my spiritual journey, and they've all sort of played into one another. And so I really get that. And then, you know, getting that call and then do you choose to take it or do you choose to stay in a situation that still feels uncomfortable but you do it anyway despite kind of like your better judgment I've done that too you know so again I just want folks to know that it's not a straight and um it's not a linear and straight and narrow path when you're on this heroine's journey and that um you know it's got so many different variations and it's still all the heroine's journey the way you've described it because I've literally everything you described like I could give you a story of like, yep. And then that was, you know, an example of that. But to kind of take it back to my familial roots, as you asked, you know, when I was three years old, um, so I'm, uh, my country of origin is Iran. So I am Persian by heritage and I was born there. And when I was three years old, um, my family was sort of divided in that, like my mother's side of the family was very um, aligned and affiliated with the royal family and the Shah. And then my dad's side of the family was very much like they considered themselves intellectuals and revolutionaries. And they ended up being sort of part of what uprooted the regime that was uh, in place for thousands of years, right? It was a, uh, it was a monarchy in Iran, you know, going back like thousands and thousands of years, like 2,500 years. And um, they thought that my dad's side of the family and kind of led by you know, various different folks on that side, um, that they were doing something good and assisting in this, you know, uprooting and revolution, because what they wanted was more, at the time, a socialist slant to things. It was the 70s, and the Marxist movement was super prevalent. And so obviously, that side of the family was like, anti-religion, there was nothing that they were like, gung-ho about in terms of religion or spirituality. My mom's side of the family, um, you know, my grandfather was a Sufi. Wow. So he was in mystical, into the mystical side of Islam. My mother grew up seeing that. So she was very sort of spiritually curious as I was growing up. And she dabbled in a lot of things like Buddhism. And, you know, she dabbled in things like Christianity without officially becoming or declaring herself Christian. You know, my dad's side of the family, my grandmother was Muslim, but it was just kind of like, yeah, grandma's Muslim. You know what I mean? Like she prays five times a day and that was that. But my aunt, her daughter, anti-religion, my father, super intellectual, was all about science. And can you validate it through science and proof and like sort of a Newtonian model of looking at science? And my brother very much fell in step with that. So I was kind of like in the middle um, you know, growing up and I'm significantly younger than my brother. And I like 
worshiped him. Right. So like at a very young age, I found myself like talking to God and it was mostly around things that were happening in my life that felt out of control. You know, like my parents getting divorced when I was eight years old, as they were having trouble, I'd be like, dear God, please, please, please just keep them together. Or my dad, you know, not living with us and kind of going back and forth between Germany um, because we lived for a while in Germany before we moved to the States. And he would then, you know, go back and forth because my parents were separated and then ultimately divorced. And it just sort of felt like no one was listening because none of my prayers got answered when I was a little person. And then as I got older, because I just worshiped my brother and he was about all things science and then declared himself agnostic. And I didn't even know what that meant. And I remember being in sixth grade and having my sixth grade teacher talk to me about this term agnostic, which just means we don't know, <laughs> you know, and then I, I sort of went like, I guess that's me because I don't really know. And um, I wasn't devout anything. And I certainly wasn't like, God doesn't exist. But I also kind of felt like, but does he? Because... <laughs> He hasn't been listening to me. And so there was just this huge period of my life where it became a question mark. And when I was about 19, I was um, introduced to people who are like in the personal development world. I call them the OGs of like personal development, like Louise Hay and Wayne Dyer and Deepak Chopra. And I was dating a guy who gave me the path to love by Deepak Chopra. And this book just kind of blew my mind. And I started to become spiritually curious and I wanted a spiritual path, but to me, because I was introduced to these folks, the spiritual path became one of like the science of mind, right? Like Ernest Holmes stuff and, you know, the church of um, religious science. So it, what or Christian science where it was like science of mind. So it's not Scientology. It's a different thing. But it was all about your mind has the capacity and the power to change your life and to change your path. And I was like so on board with that because it was still the individual and that sense of like feeling empowered as an individual. About how you choose your thoughts, that you always have the ability to choose what you want to think and what you want to put out there. So it's very much focused on the mind. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't so much get into the emotions. I mean, it does if you dig a little deeper, um, but this will be kind of an interesting theme throughout this journey that I'm going to tell, which is like, it was all about the mind and the intellect. And, you know, um, so I was like, yeah, this, this works for me. And when I graduated, I started taking yoga classes, but I wasn't really into like the spiritual component of yoga. I was just like taking Bikram. It was intense. And I was like, yeah, it's a great physical practice. And I didn't really even know what it was to meditate. Like I ended up buying books on transcendental meditation and not really understanding what it was, but I was like trying it. And then, you know, I, I got divorced. Right. So for me, that was the sort of big turning point. My, I had become a yoga teacher at that point, still not really into like the spiritual stuff. Um, and I, as I mentioned, like growing up, there was all this like questioning and I'd gone to church a couple of times with friends, but it was all like fire and brimstone and hellfire and, you know, like non-inclusive verbiage. And I was like, oh, this is not for me. Um, and then I got divorced and my husband, my ex-husband was a Catholic and we did not have a Catholic ceremony. I felt very strongly about that. My, one of my college professors actually married us. It was a totally like secular, non-denominational, it was just a ceremony. We said our vows and that was that. And then I got divorced. <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting how God has a plan for you. 
up to this point, I wasn't even comfortable saying the word God. To me, it was like source energy or the collective, but the words G-O-D, like, or the, like, that just wasn't even a thing for me. I was like, mm, I'm uncomfortable with that. And then I got divorced. Uh, my life got turned upside down. I ended up moving from Chicago, where I was living at the time, back to Minnesota. I started teaching yoga full-time. My body had been shutting down, so I became a health coach, mostly out of curiosity of how to heal my own body. And um, so I started coaching and teaching yoga full-time still very spiritually curious. And of course the eight limb path was introduced to me in yoga, but I wasn't like reading the Bhagavad Gita or the Upanishads or anything like that. I was just like, okay, like dabbling. Um, and still not comfortable with the word God moved to San Diego a few years later, um, developed my coaching practice to be more around resilience. Cause I worked with a coach and she helped me see like, Oh no, this is really my thing. It's not just nutrition and health coaching. Um, and then I got introduced to NLP and NLP is 100% about the power of your mind. Mm -hmm. And so it really seemed like a really sort of logical add on for me and the science of mind stuff and like control your thoughts and you control your life and you create your reality. Can you just yeah. two sentences about how would you describe it? And immediately my brain goes to, well, that's Tony Robbins. Right. He does. Well, so Tony Robbins is NLP trained. He doesn't talk about it, but he studied with Bandler, who was one of the two creators of neurolinguistic programming. And everything Tony does is NLP. He doesn't call it that, um, but it is NLP. And he veered away from it because NLP got a weird reputation. Richard Bandler has a really strange reputation. You know, the, the OGs of NLP are all just a little dicey. And it doesn't mean that the practice itself isn't amazing. It's just that the people who created it are a little dicey. Um, so Tony veered away from it and went down the path of like calling it, you know, uh, neuro something conditioning. I, I don't know. He changed it anyway. It's still NLP. So I started studying NLP with one of the guys who uh, whose father was one of the OGs, right, who worked with Bandler and Grinder and you know, Wyatt Wood Small, Woods, Wyatt Wood, I can't pronounce his last name. Anyway, yes. all of that to say NLP was my jam because it was like, ooh, yeah, I can use this, this set of tools and techniques that are drawn from things like psychotherapy. So they studied Virginia Satir, they studied Milton Erickson and hypnotherapy, they studied Fitz Pearls, and they like studied all of these people in psychology and basically pulled from all the different ways that these people were getting success with their clients. And they created like a lexicon of tools and techniques and theories and concepts and language techniques, you know, and languaging that helped people kind of literally rewire their brains. So it's, it's neuroscience, it's neurocognitive stuff. Um, so I just geeked out about that. Like yeah, crazy. It's, stuff. it's wonderful to have that as part of your background. Yes. But still very brain oriented. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I will say like, you know, at this point I'm getting more and more spiritually curious. Um, there is another branch of the company that I studied with and then ultimately went and worked for the NLP company that was Huna, which is an ancient Hawaiian shamanic system of working with energy. So I was like, really that became my path for a couple of years where I went down this path of these shamanic studies. And I was like, oh, this is, this is it. But there was still no talk of God, there was like 
masculine and feminine energies. And there was like Kane and Navahine, which are the masculine feminine representations of the divine and the Po, which is the no thingness from which we all come. But there was never this like, yeah, it's God, right? So I was still okay with that because it's also all about kind of working with energy and how you can use energy. Cause you know, ultimately if science has shown us now that we're all just energy and ways of working with energy and manipulating energy for good. And it went very hand in hand with NLP. So that was my path for a few years. And then again, had the rug pulled out from under me. Right. And here's a situation, like you mentioned, you can get that call and ignore it and be like, oh no, I'm just going to stay in this scenario. That's really uncomfortable for me. The NLP company was not a fit. I was wildly uncomfortable the whole time I was there. It just, the company culture was not in alignment with my values. It wasn't who I am, but I was like, but here I have this amazing opportunity and I'm going to stay and I'll just ignore the fact that everything about this feels wrong to me. And, you know, God takes care of it because I'm stubborn as hell. And so I got let go. I literally got fired. So many times where people inside are thinking, no, no, I don't like this, but I'm going to wait another year because of whatever reason. And then they get fired. That's so interesting. Yeah. What's so funny is that the year before I got fired, my dad passed away. So talk about another sort of big upending thing. So it was like my dad passed away, which accelerated me down this path of healing and looking at my stuff and sort of spiritual development. And I remember talking to an astrologer that year who told me, this is the year that your third eye is going to open. And I was like, I don't even know what that means, but okay, whatever you say, you know what I mean? And I think she was trying to say like, you're going to come into a lot of your psychic abilities. And I was terrified of that whole notion. And I was like, I don't, what? I don't, okay, great. Fine. And I was starting to see things. I was starting to see energy. And I was like, I don't know what this is. You know, and my mentor at the time was, you know, my boss and my mentor was like, yeah, 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 this is all normal. It's okay, you know. But my dad died and a year later I got fired. And so the universe, if that's what you want to call it, just what I called it at the time, or God, which is really what was going on, was like, no, 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 (laughs) this way. (laughs) Yeah, helping hands, you were being guided. For sure. I most certainly was, but I went through a really dark time. I mean, I went through a legit dark night of the soul. I wanted I nothing to do with this call. I wanted nothing to do with it. I was so done. I was so uh, disheartened, devastated. I had put so much of my heart and soul and blood, sweat and tears into this company. Um, I still had my coaching practice, but I had sort of put that on the back burner and I was working for this company and um, my dad passing away was a huge thing for me. He was like such a rock, like such a stabilizing force. And so when this happened, I legitimately for about a year and a half, like kind of came apart at the seams. I lost everything. I had to move out of my apartment and like move into this little like casita in the back of my friend's house. I was like homeless basically. And um, I lost, uh, I had no money. And I had my, my coaching practice, but I was like barely hanging on because, you know, I had to like show up for these coaching calls, but I was an emotional wreck. Um, but I kept showing up and then I was like, oh wait, but I have this system, (laughs) you know, these seven pillars of resilience, like, let me start using some of that. And I did, but the thing that really, 
became the game changer was when I found Theta Healing. But before you go there, mm-hmm. I think it's so helpful for people listening, you know, and seeing you and knowing the success you've gotten to now, <laughs> you know, that, yeah, you had a hard time and we do. And mm-hmm. I wonder though, if you can say now, looking back at that, if that hard time and dark night of the soul was really a gift in a way in disguise or, or yeah, a a calamity or a gift disguised as calamity, right? Certainly, certainly. I'm a big believer that everything happens for us and everything is medicinal. And I can honestly tell you that whole thing could have been so much less painful if I had stopped fighting. And if I had stopped pushing against what God was trying to tell me and Mm -hmm. show me, and if I had really just trusted my intuition, the first time I got the hit that like this company isn't a fit for me, or this, the, you know, when I got the intuitive hit that like, this is not the right path for me. And if I had just allowed myself the process of grieving after my dad died, I didn't do it. I just got back on that horse and started working again. And I didn't listen, my body, my nervous system. I had, I was diagnosed with adrenal fatigue and literally the, the doctor I was working with was like, it's really good that we did this blood work and caught it when we did. Cause you're like right on the verge of needing to be hospitalized. Oh gosh. Yeah. But I didn't listen. I still, I went back to work and then I got fired. And again, all the stress of that adrenal burnout this time, not even fatigue, just straight burnout. And I was depressed. I was anxious. I was burnt out. I was really like rock bottom, but all of that was my own doing because I was fighting. I was pushing against what my nervous system was trying to tell me to do, which was to rest, you know, and what my body was trying to tell me to do, which was to grieve and experience emotions and let God take over. Okay. So that's when... So how did, how did you find out about Theta Healing? And you're going to have to tell us what that is. And I, I, will. I, I want people to know that I got to experience it with you, which was really amazing and very helpful to me in processing baggage that I still carry around. Um, but it was I was able to look at it a different way that I had never really looked at it that way before. But so... How did you discover it and what is it? So I first got introduced to it um, when my dad passed away. I had a friend who was like, you need to go see my theta practitioner, my theta teacher, Alexis. And I was like, what is it? She goes, just go. And she's someone I trust. So I was like, okay, I tried to make an appointment with Alexis. She was booked. So I went to go see one of Alexis's advanced students. And I walked in, no idea what to expect. She explains this process to me. That was super confusing to me, but because I'm someone who understands brainwaves, because I've studied hypnosis and who's, who's on board with, you know, like other people being able to access your consciousness because it's all energy. I was like, okay, I think I get it. And she did this process and I was blown away by what she was able to see. Right. Oops. We've frozen here for a minute. So, ha, 
What do we do with that, Pega? I'm hoping you're going to come back. Okay. It's okay. Just take two. I can't hear you. I think you're muted. I am. There you go. Better? Yeah. Yeah. We just okay. edit it. It's fine. It will be fine. All right. So. So I was telling you about Theta Healing and my first encounter with it. I was really blown away at what she was able to see, what she was able to quote, pull and release, which I'll explain here in a minute. And that was that. I just had that one session. And then uh, about a year later, I got fired. And um, again, my friend Lisan was like, you need to go see Alexis. And so I went to go see Alexis and Alexis is also NLP trained and she's familiar with the company I was working with because she had done one of their trainings. Anyway, so I go in and I am just all fired up because I had just gotten fired, <laughs> no pun intended, but I went in there and I was just, you know, I'm also a student and teacher of the Enneagram. So if anyone's familiar with that, my point sits at type eight and we're kind of like big, borderline aggressive at times energy, right? So I just go on in there with all this brass and bravado and just whatever. And she's just like, stop, mm. just stop it. I need you to stop talking. That's enough. I've heard enough. And I was like, <laughs> and she just was like, we're going to do this process and here's how it's going to go. So she just took over, you know, she knows about NLP matching and mirroring. So she matched my energy, which totally won my respect. And we did this process, again, blew me away as to what she could see. But the process in Theta Healing is that you call upon mother, father, God, the creator of all that is. And so she's using this terminology and I'm like, okay. And after the session, she says to me, you know what? I really think you should just come to a training. I'm doing a workshop in a couple of weeks. I think you're really gonna love it. And so I was, you know, I'm always up for learning. I'm a pretty voracious <clears throat> collector of modalities. And I said, sure. So I came to this literally three-day workshop <clears throat> to learn basic uh, theta healing. And it, it was a game changer for me. You mm -hmm. know, it gave me a process for how to connect more deeply with myself and how to actually begin to not only connect with, but begin to have a relationship with God. You know, up until this moment, it had been just meditation and quieting the mind and God was the space between the thoughts and the gap and, you know, the collective consciousness as Jung would put it or collective unconscious. And it was the first time that I was given a modality or a way to commune with God. And, you know, I had listened to Neil Diamond Walsh's conversations with God, you know, so I was like on board. Yes. With the idea of being able to have a conversation with God, but it's, it had never just landed or clicked in such a profound way as when I learned the process of Theta Healing. So for your listeners, what's Theta Healing? So it was created by um, Viana Steibel back in the nineties. It's not that, you know, it's not something that hasn't been around for thousands of years. It's just that she codified it and created a system for doing it. So it could be replicable and honestly, anyone can do it. And it's also a gorgeous way to develop your psychic abilities, which 
as I mentioned, had already started waking up for me. So the process of theta healing, Viana, you know, was married to a hypnotherapist and she was already a pretty natural intuitive, meaning that she was kind of born with these gifts. She didn't really know how she was doing it. Um, she was a naturopath. And so she was working with people and she was using herbs and other um, healing modalities. And then she had leg cancer. So she had cancer in her femur. And um, as she was working with people, she started to realize that she was doing something that she wasn't really clear on. And so when she got diagnosed with um, cancer in her femur, she decided that she was going to try doing this thing that she'd been doing with other people that seemingly was working. So she put herself into a particular state and again, married to a hypnotherapist. So she had an idea that what she was doing was really calming her mind down and that she was probably dropping into slower brain waves. And she just made this command and it's the way she talks about the command process is not that it's a demand, but a command where you're co-creating with the creator of all that is. So she made this command that all the cancer in her leg be cleansed and cleared and healed. And so she experienced what she calls an instant healing. Mm -hmm. The doctors had diagnosed this cancer like there was nothing they could do about it other than amputate her leg. And so when she went to the doctors and they saw that there was no cancer left in her femur bone, um, they were blown away. Now at this point, her leg had also shrunk um, because of it. And, um, you know, she went back a year later and they, they had her previous uh, imaging and x-rays. And they basically were like, whoever's imaging and x-rays this used to be with the cancer in it, if nothing has been done, this person should be dead. Mm. And there she was sitting before them, totally cancer-free, alive and well. So she realized that what she was doing was going into a deep state of relaxation, slowing her brain waves down. And then ultimately by way of like taking her consciousness out of her physical body up. And as she just says, going up, but it can be out. It's, you know, not a specific thing. There's different ways to do it, but also ultimately taking her consciousness up and out of her body to commune and connect with the creator of all that is past the seven layers of, or the seven planes of existence as she calls them. And they're called different things in different systems, but basically going up and connecting with the highest possible um, level of consciousness and co-creating with uh, God. She made this command. And so she started working with people and she does a lot of instant healings, right? So she was working with people in their health and basically saying, if it's in the highest and best good of this individual, you know, let this ailment be cleansed and cleared and healed. And people were experiencing instant healings if it was karmically time for them to heal, right? Because you can't override your right. karmic path. It's not smart to do that. Anyway, so basically in the process, the practitioner goes into a theta brainwave and there's a particular meditation and process that, you know, we learn to do that. And by way of mirror neurons, the patient or client also happens to go into a, a slower brainwave. The process works whether or not the individual goes into theta or not. But so, you know, you're kind of synced up and because you're in a slower brainwave, your mind is just that much more suggestible. So in hypnotherapy, why hypnosis works is that the client is in a deep state of trance. They've sort of bypassed what in hypnosis we call the critical faculty, which is the divide between your conscious like your waking state and your unconscious mind, which is kind of what's running 95% of the show. Well, in your unconscious mind is the realm of 
your emotions, your belief structures, um, your, your memories. And so as a theta practitioner, you're able to access another person's unconscious mind by way of taking your consciousness into their energetic space. Yeah. Sort of the most simplified way of saying it. And so you can see things that are going on in there. You can do what's called pulling and releasing, which means that you're asking that God remove a belief structure or particularly deeply rooted emotion from that person's experience. It's a totally do with process as you've experienced. Yes, there I has did. to be, you know, for every command, there is a permission asked and a yes received. And the practitioner is doing nothing other than witnessing, you know, God effectively or source energy or whatever you want to call it is the one that's doing the work. And so the practitioner becomes a conduit, but mostly an observer, just kind of being the go-between for God and the individual who's receiving uh, the healing. Now, I tend to work more with belief work because there's a lot of different things you can do with Theta. You can talk to dead people. You can do instant healings. You can do future reads. You can, a lot of different things. You can do in, you know, DNA healings. Um, but I tend to work mostly with people's belief structures because that I find is the most useful um, practice or the most useful um, way to, to take this incredible technique, this incredible tool and, and bring it to people and, and have it be a part of their lives. And especially with the resilience work that I do, one of the primary components of resilience is healing. And so, you know, the theta healing, the NLP, the hypnosis, all of that goes into that primary portion of it, which is healing. So, you know, and then I also like things from the Hawaiian shamanic practice of Huna, like the forgiveness process and all of that. Cause my take on resilience is that an individual has to give themselves space to heal. And then ultimately has to get a clearer sense of who they really are. Like what is their true identity beyond their ego structures and personalities like their essential self beyond their personality type, if you use the Enneagram. And then ultimately that in doing that, you come into a place of thriving, but there's also practices that you implement to thrive, like community and connection and cultivating creativity and joy as a daily spiritual practice. And, um, you know, so it's a very holistic approach to doing things. And Theta Healing is just one way that I work with people to do the healing piece. But it's also been a huge piece of my spiritual evolution. And and we are going to talk about how people get in touch with you to take part in something, you know, because here I am in Maine and you were able to do that in California with me. So, um, but just to be clear, none of this is a religion. No, not at all. And in fact, if anything you know, tools like the Enneagram, which I know have gained a lot of popularity in um, Christian circles, but it's not a Christian thing. It has its roots in Egypt and other, you know, perennial wisdom traditions. So things like the Enneagram and Theta Healing are not a religion. Things like Huna are not a religion. They're all psycho-spiritual tools for enhancing your personal and spiritual development, whatever your particular spiritual or religious slant may be, mm-hmm. you know? So if you're a Christian, cool. If you're a Muslim, awesome. If you're Jewish or Buddhist or, That's you know, amazing. you don't practice any religion, all of these modalities 
can help are there to help you just understand yourself better and heal and connect with the God of your understanding. So I'm sure there's people listening that are saying, yeah, but God, I can't, I can't subtract the God that was always talked to me about in church who wasn't very happy with me from what you're saying you're communicating with. I mean, how would you, and let me just say, I have no problem (laughs) um, with everything that you have said, but, but how do we help people say, you know, it's the definition of this God is so beyond what man can try to put words to in any religion. And so, yeah. um, Well, I would just say that um, if you look in any spiritual system, that God is an ineffable thing, that we try as humankind to put words to it or give it a description or even like personify this ineffable presence that is at the source of all of life, right? That is the animating component of all of life, that life wouldn't exist without it, that it is in everything, that it is within everything, that it is everything and it is not everything. And so it is ineffable. It doesn't matter what system you look at. If you dig enough, you'll see that even in the Christian religion, in Islam and Judaism, it is an ineffable being or an ineffable presence. And so how do you reconcile it? Well, I understand that, you know, certain religions have tried to give us a way to wrap our puny human minds around this force that it, that we really can't fully comprehend that we're not even designed by the way, as human beings to fully wrap our minds around. Our brains can't do it. Right. Our brains can't do it. And so we've tried to give it a name and give it a personality and give it like human qualities. And it's not, it's not a human, like, yeah, was Jesus Christ an embodiment of this consciousness that we could call Christ consciousness? Absolutely. And was he a really evolved human being because he had access to this consciousness? Sure, but then so do all of us. And so did Buddha. And so did Krishna. And so, you know what I mean? Like these ascended masters, we could call them, all had access to this consciousness where they were able to tap into this ineffable presence and be a, a clear channel for what they were being called to do. Right. So I'm bringing it back to you, my dear. (laughs) So one of the things we talked about was you accepting that you are a spiritual teacher. (laughs) Yeah. Yoga teacher, (laughs) yoga teacher, NLP, (laughs) excuse me, all those other things. But how about spiritual teacher and practitioner? So it's really funny is that you know, I did a rebrand like two years ago where like I changed the colors and I changed the pictures and, you know, all this good stuff and nowhere on my website in that version, version of the website. In fact, maybe even on this version of my website, I'm working on it. Was there anything about like theta healing or spirituality? It was all pictures of me and like buttoned up suits. And 
like a little bit of me, like sitting on a rock with like a sweater, you know, like in meditation, like a little hint at, oh yeah, she's also a yoga teacher and into like, you know, energy things, but there was no talk of anything spiritual at all. And I don't know what that was, but it was like, I was covertly spiritual and like, I would sneak it into the work I would do with people. Cause I had it in my head that like the executive women that I was working with wasn't, weren't going to be into that, or they were going to be afraid of it. Or I wanted to be you know, more accessible to the mainstream. And then COVID happened. And I had like a literal, like existential breakdown last year, as many of us I'm sure did. And I, I started questioning everything that I was doing just as recently as last March. And I was like, what am I even doing here? Like, what is this all about? Like, I, I don't, I'm not a coach. Like, why am I out there trying to tell people that I'm a coach? I don't even want to do this anymore. I don't want to coach people. I don't want to do theta with people. Like I enjoy doing theta with people, but really I just want to focus on my own healing. I just, I want to sell all my things and I'm going to go sit on a mountaintop. I'm just going to like live on an ashram and meditate for the rest of my life. Okay. I had that moment. Okay? okay. And then I was like, wait a tick. <laughs> I started working with some other healing practitioners and medical intuitive and so on and so forth who were like, I'm sorry, kid, but that is not your path. <laughs> like God has something in store for you. Everything that you've experienced has been in preparation for this. And yes. you got to start just surrendering and leaning into the fact that this is who you are. And this is what you have been placed on this planet to do. And so I had to really kind of come to terms with the fact that like, I am a spiritual guide. I've started to call it a spiritual Sherpa. Cause that just makes more sense to me. Cause I don't think that I'm any more or less evolved than anybody. I've just been at it longer. I have the tools. And so I can help you up the mountain. So if you're on a spiritual journey and you're on a spiritual quest, like it's nice to have a Sherpa. So, you know, like I've walked the path and I can probably help. Um, you know, and I have so many different tools and modalities to help you on your way. So I just surrendered and I was like, fine. And so now my Instagram says like spiritual seeker and guide. I think, I don't even know. It might say spiritual Sherpa. Good for coach, you. Because I am a coach <laughs> at the end of the day. And I am a consultant, like I'm all of it. And so I've really just in the last year learned to embrace it and to talk about it openly. I don't, I still don't know that theta healing is something that's on my website. Maybe it is. Um, but, uh, if it's not, I'm working on it. Um, so yeah. yeah. And so what I know <laughs> is when we accept it and we start speaking it, that it's that whole thing that Joseph Campbell, one of my heroes said, you know, when you take one step toward the gods, he said, <laughs> gods, uh, they take 10 steps towards you. Yeah. And I think for you to be coming out in this <laughs> That's way, exactly it. really, it's yeah. just gonna, wow, you're gonna see a response. Well, I'm so much happier, but I'll tell you part of my reservation about coming out was that I was living in San Diego. And for those of you who are not familiar with Southern California and the overall culture of SoCal, especially San Diego, there is a lot of airy fairy spirituality down there. And I say that with so much love and respect, because if that's sort of your first foray into the spiritual path, like, cool, I'm like, no judgment. But there are a lot of folks who are teaching 
spirituality or shamanic practices who don't really, who aren't really like rooted in something with foundation, right? They just like learned something. They went to a drum circle. They went to like a, a festival and they maybe studied, you know, with a shaman for a weekend. There's all these people who are studying to be shaman. And I'm like, if one more person tells me they're a shaman, I swear to God. And it's mostly because people don't take the time to honor these lineages from which these shamanic practices come from. And they just start running around being like, I'm a shaman. And I'm like, you don't even know what that means. And so I get very like activated. And as such, it became a thing for me. And I get it. It's partially my baggage to be very, very mindful of how I put myself out there. You will never hear me say that I'm a healer. You will never hear me say I'm a shaman. You will never hear me say I'm a guru or even that I'm like a spiritual counselor. Cause it's like, I am none of those things. And I think folks, I am wildly suspicious of people who say they are. Mm. And I say that because I think that People who are gurus don't need to say they're gurus. People who are shaman would never call themselves shaman. They would just be like, I study shamanic practices. You know, real true people who are honoring a lineage will pay homage to that lineage and not make it about them, you know, and not sort of um, commoditize something that's sacred. And so I'm very suspicious of folks who do that and as such have been super duper trepidatious and careful about how I put myself out there, you know, even as a practitioner, like I'm a theta healing practitioner. I am not a theta healer. Yeah. I am a student and practitioner of Huna, which is an ancient Hawaiian shamanic system that I've studied. I am certainly not a shaman. I am certainly not a kumu. Like that is something, a title that you are assigned by someone who has the authority to give you that, you right. know? So I, I, I always just very much approach it. And that's been part of my trepidation and coming out too, hmm. was just wanting to pay homage and, and do it right. Right. No, I get that. And that's, that's um, integrity speaking, I think, you know, for sure. But let's just say, affirm that, <laughs> you're putting your spirituality and your um, ability to help others on their spiritual path to the fore. And that yes. maybe your consulting and corporate work is not to the fore. And um, that's certainly the case for me, you know, and it and is, I would say, yeah, I would say my focus has been on putting that to the fore, that which you just said. And I am still very much in the world of consulting and being a trainer in that realm but it's shifted for me because the consulting work that I even do weaves in my spirituality as well because my mentor Dr. Deborah Egerton has been doing diversity equity inclusion anti-racism work for over 30 years and she uses the tool of the Enneagram which is a psycho-spiritual tool and yes, you have to know your audience and you're not gonna go in there and say the words God in a corporation per se, because it just would be wildly inappropriate. But that doesn't mean that spirit doesn't come into the work that we do. It doesn't mean that the Enneagram, which is a psycho-spiritual tool, doesn't come into the work that we do. As a matter of fact, it does. And doing diversity, equity, inclusion, and anti-racism work to me is God work. Yeah. You know, I mean, it that is, is work. spiritual work to Definitely. me. 
So that's how I reconcile it for myself. Like, no, I'm no longer doing sales trainings with, you know, in the consulting world. Like I will absolutely do leadership training and culture, you know, shift and, you know, strategic planning and all of that. But again, all of that feels very much like God work. Why? Because we're teaching people how to talk to one another, how to see each other, how to honor each other and our differences and recognize that we have similarities and commonalities. So all of that feels like wildly spiritual to me. I agree. And I would say also to get to the point where they can love each other and love their yes. themselves. Yeah. Yes. And and the, any, love word. <laughs> the love word. The love word. And I think any is- culture that wants to be mm. functional really does need to begin to embrace the idea that you can love your coworker right. in the way that we're using that word, which is to see them and right. honor them. Respect them. Yeah. So we have to bring this to a close though I could talk to you forever about this this is it's got to be one of my number one subjects talking about spirit and spiritual path and um, but I have to let you go on with your life but before we do that so I know you have special programs coming up first the best way for people to get a hold of you and we'll put this in the show notes but just say it and then just talk about program programs so best way to get in touch with me is my website is simply coachpega.com i'm coach pega across all the socials so if you want to follow on instagram it's coach pega if you want to follow me on uh, facebook it's literally facebook.com forward slash coach pega or my personal page which is just pega ked cody and i'm on twitter um, I think at this point we'll be on TikTok. Um, you can find me on Perform Live, which is a website where I do um, like, you know, live, uh, I do a weekly fireside chat. So on Fridays at 2.30 Pacific Standard Time, I go live for 15 or 20 minutes and I just do like flash coaching and I share a topic like that's on the table. Sometimes we bring guests on uh, to those fireside chats as well. Um, I'm on Moxie, which is a website um, for my yoga classes. Um, So Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, I teach a a Zoom yoga class. So it's virtual. You can find the yoga there. My website has so many different like resources and members areas and ways that you can get involved in both a large and small scale. I've recorded meditations, all kinds of good stuff. But the program I really want to talk about, um, a couple of things. We have a women's program. It's eight weeks long. There is one way to do it, which is self-paced where you can literally just go on, purchase the eight-week program and do it at your own pace. There's a learning platform. You can do one module at a time, take it at your own pace. That same program is also available as a coaching program, as a group coaching program for women called Devastated to Divine. And we do it in the matter of eight weeks again. And what that includes also is a, is a breakthrough session, um, which I do in the group setting where we clear baggage. So we let go of programming and kind of a little bit of theta healing and a lot of other modalities, but then five additional weeks. So eight weeks total of like learning how to thrive. So you're literally going from devastated and heartbroken to divinely thriving. So that's one program. The other program we're gonna be launching in September is called Elevate Yoga which is also an eight week program for people who wanna go deep. Um, So maybe you've been practicing yoga for a little while, maybe you've been practicing yoga a long while, but this is an eight week program to delve deeply into alignment of both basic and advanced postures, 
inversions, you know, like arm balances and being able to go upside down, but also the eight limb path of yoga and how you can bring that spiritual system into whatever your particular spiritual path is. We'll talk about the chakra systems and um, we'll really kind of get into how you can begin to use yoga as a moving meditation and where and how you can use breath. So pranayama, both on your mat and off your mat. So that's another eight week program that we have starting in September. And then of course, you could just work with me one-on-one if you wanna do one-on-one coaching or um, theta healing, all of that is available. So that's it. That's all the things that I have. Wonderful. That's great. And and we will put it in the show notes, which when they come out, they'll be there. Um, and, you know, just your comment about you, you like to work with people's beliefs when you do theta healing, yeah. and which is what you did for me. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell, say this enough to people that it, it's our old beliefs that we latch on to when we're children and we think, this is the way it is. And until you get to experience a practice like what Pega gives to us, you don't realize how ah, you can stop running up against these beliefs that aren't helping you and you can let them go and you can be a different person as a result. So Mm -hmm. it's such a gift to do that. Well, Pega, this has been just wonderful. And you have shared so much that I know is going to help people and help particularly women listening. And again, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing those times when you had the rug pulled out, when you were, you know, when you were suffering and you were able to heal yourself from that. So it's been really a gift that you've shared with us today. So thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. You know, I really just hope that my life um, can be a source of inspiration for people it has not been easy, um, but I also know that it's all been for a reason. And I'm a big firm believer that that reason is that it's somehow meant to inspire other people. And so as the heroine's journey implies, or just flat out says, it's time now for me to share my experiences and to share my journey and to share that path to help other women and other people really um, on their path, you know? So thank you for speaking with us. Thank you, everyone, for listening today, and we'll be doing this again. And Peg, I think we're going to have to come visit with you again sometime. I hope so. And I would (laughs) certainly love to have you on our podcast as well once we relaunch. We've taken a little break from it, but um, we are going to relaunch with guests again soon. I just needed to take a moment. But thank you, Susanna. It's such a pleasure to know you. I'm so honored that you asked me to be on. Same here, Peg. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Thank you.